Welcome to episode six and the season finale of One Hour in the Past, our podcast series presented by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center and hosted by me, Adrian Petrie, Visitor Services Coordinator, and Kathleen Powell, Curator and Supervisor of Historical Services. Our community has a rich history filled with diverse stories and experiences, and we recognize that our story begins with the indigenous peoples of this land. In the spirit of truth and reconciliation, we would like to acknowledge that we are recording today's podcast on the traditional lands of the Neutrals, Haudenosaunee, and Anishinaabe peoples, and is adjacent to the Six Nations of the Grand River. As museum professionals, our jobs are manyfold managers, curators, interpreters, researchers, and much, much more. We found ourselves pining for some interesting and perhaps wild history in our daily work. And we had a very interesting first season on the podcast. We explored the history of the arts and crafts movement, the history of rowing, uh, the history of soda water, and a few more. Our research took us in all sorts of wild places. We hope you've enjoyed coming down the rabbit hole with us. But if you're new to the podcast, let us tell you how it all works. Uh, We select a topic, then we each go away and have one hour to research the topic, with the end goal to see how far the rabbit hole of research we can go. Are you ready to head down the rabbit hole and see where one hour in the past has taken us? Let's go! It's one of those questions that help to mark memories of an important date. Where were you when? As we approach the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War, we are inviting everyone to help us close our World War I exhibition, Doing Our Bit, World War I from St. Catharines to the Western Front, with a 1918 victory party. Just by looking at the photos of the victory celebrations in St. Catharines on November 11, 1918, You just know folks were asking each other for years, where were you when the war ended? Help us close doing our bit and join us for the 1918 Victory Party on November 30th, 2018 from 8 p.m. to midnight. Visit stcatharinesmuseum.ca for tickets and more information. research into daylight savings time has taken us. So just to remind everyone out there in uh, cyber world, Adrian and I have each taken one hour to research our topic independently of each other and this is the first time that we're talking about it. 
We'll kick off our discussion the same way we kick off every discussion here at One Hour in the Past with a definition of daylight savings. Daylight savings is the practice of advancing clocks during summer months so that evening daylight lasts longer while sacrificing normal sunrise times. Typically, regions that use daylight savings time adjust clocks forward one hour close to the start of spring and adjust them backward in the autumn to standard time. So I'll start with where uh, I started and ended up, uh, and then uh, we can we'll see what you how you started. Yeah. So I actually started with uh, um, the CBC had some inf- information about the history of daylight savings time, and uh, so started back in 1915 with the Germans. That's where I started, uh, and the very last thing I ended up with at the end of my hour was leap seconds. What? (laughs) (laughs) And universal, um, what's it called? Universal coordinated time. Coordinated universal time. Right. 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 Cool. Where did you end up? Where did you start and where did you end up? I started by looking in through the museum's collection to see if there were any photographs or a special clock or something to do (laughs) with daylight savings time. And I found a couple of photos, so I'll get to that later. I ended up, and my hour went very quickly. Speaking of time, I wonder how many different time (laughs) puns and, you know, jokes we can fit in. Um, My hour went very quickly, and I ended up completely lost in the office of the leader of the opposition in Center Block at Parliament. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) So, yeah, I didn't my research didn't get very far in the hour. It really felt like 15 minutes. And then I looked at the clock and then all of a sudden I was out of time. <laughs> okay, well, let me take a moment or two to talk about my research. Ooh, a then. moment or two. Yes, very good. So as I this said, this might I... be a long podcast. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, as I said, I started uh, with basically I googled history of daylight savings time, which good, is like good. the most basic search ever, yeah. um, and found out that uh, daylight savings time was uh, first brought into and it was first enacted in 1915 uh, in Germany. It was really supposed to try to save energy. It was all about saving energy, coal, that kind of thing, because uh, the idea was that if you moved the clock so that people were awake when it was light and sleeping when it was dark, you would have less need to turn on lights or to have um, the uh, heating going high uh, during that time. Uh, But pretty much everyone else adopted it relatively quickly. Started out that it was supposed to be just for the First World War as a time or an energy saving method, but then it just continued after that. but it stopped. After the uh, the First World War, they stopped uh, using this whole daylight savings time, but then it came back again. Um, after the armistice, they stopped it. Then during the Second World War, they brought in a kind of similar, but a little bit of a different kind of daylight savings time, um, which uh, in England, it was uh, two hours ahead. He's changed the clock two hours ahead of Greenwich Mean Time during the summer, and that was known as double summer time which I think sounds super cool. I'd love to have double, <laughs> double summertime. Yes. 
Um, and then, uh, then at the end, they rolled the clocks back to one hour ahead of Greenwich Mean Time in the winter. It's very strange. It seems to me they lost an hour in there someplace. Yeah. Um, but in 1966, the United States Congress enacted uh, something called Uniform, the Uniform Time Act, which uh, established a system of uniform time um, within each time zone uh, for daylight time throughout pretty much most of the United States. Uh, and Canada has pretty much followed whatever the United States has done because we're close trading partners and everyone figures if we don't do what the United States is doing, it's going to screw up trade and clocks and everything everywhere. So... Um, Essentially, as we all know, daylight savings time essentially moves the clock ahead one hour on the second Sunday in March and back one hour on the first Sunday in November. So just like that little rhyme, spring ahead, fall back. We're heading to fall back this time around where we get our hour back. Uh, but uh, <laughs> And then in the spring, we, uh, we spring our clocks ahead. Um, but in 2007, so that's originally what it was, and then 2007, they started the daylight savings time three weeks earlier than what was originally, um, what they had had earlier, and then mm. one week later in the fall. Interestingly, I came across a few reports that are studies that talked about all this whole thing about saving energy is mm. not really, never really saved any is energy. Is it a myth? Yeah. It's just uh, <laughs> like what a, like a political sales pitch. For, yeah. yeah. Well, before they did it, people said, oh, this is totally going to save energy. But then once they do it, it didn't save it. It really didn't save that much energy in the and end. And like, if you're talking about light, yeah. how much, how much light does one kilowatt hour actually take up anyway? Right. How much are you saving anyway? Right. But then on the flip side, apparently... Um, a nonprofit group called the American Council for Energy Efficient Economy estimated that the prolonged period of daylight time would cut carbon emissions by 10.8 million tons. I don't know if that's really true, but that's what they I guess everybody predicted. has their lights off. Right, I guess. Um, so anyway, there are actually some places in Canada that don't follow any time changes. I thought, yes. Uh, the province of Saskatchewan, most notably, but there are a few cities as well. And I was like, that's kind of weird. Wonder why. And ma basically, it's because in the Constitution, um, laws relating to timekeeping are provincial. No way! <laughs> provincial that's slash so territorial. Cool. territorial. I didn't know that. So, you know, our Canadian Constitution is has been dogged for the last 150 years over whose responsibility it is for what. And interestingly, timekeeping was included in there somewhere, which is totally wow. weird. Yeah. Um, so since 1867, timekeeping has been a provincial slash territorial matter. So it's really up to the province to decide. And then there's some cities that are kind of like straddle the borders of things. So there's a couple of cities in Saskatchewan that straddle the border of Manitoba or Alberta, and they do follow daylight savings time. But for the most part, the province of Alberta doesn't. And then there's a whole section, or sorry, Saskatchewan doesn't. Sorry yeah, about that. That's okay. Um, anyway, there's a sliver of Quebec that doesn't follow daylight savings time. And there is a section of Nunavut, a couple of places in Nunavut that don't follow. So there's just a few, but for the yeah. most part, everybody follows. I read too when I was reading about Saskatchewan that they don't follow daylight savings time, but they are... They mark themselves in the central time zone, even though geographically they're in mountain time. Right. So they de facto do observe daylight saving time. Right. They just don't double it, because that would be double summertime. Right. Oh, double summertime. It's Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess technically they're in mountain, but they observe central. So. Yeah, that's bizarre, eh? Yeah. 
Um, so the thing I thought I would find more of was more information about this idea of the health benefits yes. of or the health benefits and also the drawbacks of changing your clocks. Because, you know, you always hear on the radio at this time of year, like it's actually in the spring, at the, in the spring that people lose an hour, so they're tired, so there's more car accidents and stuff like that. And so there have been like zillions of studies that relate to those types of things on um, and that kind of thing. Apparently moving the clocks ahead in the spring um, had, uh, um, there were more heart attacks in the week after springing forward especially during the first three days of that week. I don't know. Um, but Swedish researchers have said that uh, the number of heart attacks dipped in the opposite side. So when you're falling back, they dip. And when you're springing ahead, there's more, which is kind of odd. So it's a good time now, but in the spring, maybe not so much. <laughs> um, and then they talked about... Uh, Sleeping patterns. There was a study in 2007 in Munich, uh, Germany, that tracked sleeping patterns of Europeans to try to get the effects of daylight savings time. Um, and they found that while both late and early risers adjusted to the time switch in the fall, night owls, like me, sadly, had a particularly difficult time adjusting to the time shift in the spring. And researchers said that night owls are likely to feel sleep deprived for weeks. Weeks? <laughs> Oh. Yeah. So anyway, there was that. That was an interesting article, and then I kind of went uh, in a little bit of a odder direction. Then I went to time and time zones. Time. Because I was for some reason I thought I would come across more references to Sanford Fleming. Yeah. In the daylight savings time stuff, but there was nothing until yeah. I came across time zones, and so I ended up kind of getting I... caught up in this time zone thing, talking about time zones, and that Canada has six time zones. And Sir Sanford Fleming, who was a Scottish-Canadian railway engineer, pioneered the use of time zones, or the use of the 24-hour clock. And he proposed this time zone system that starts with the Prime Meridian, which is in Greenwich, England. Um, and then I got, there was, as an aside, did you know that when you're on Wikipedia, if you hover over the little underlined blue things, a little box comes up with yeah. information? Isn't it great? <laughs> I, is this new? Because I had never noticed it before. I it's maybe like 18 months, but like when they first started doing it, there weren't really, the, the pictures weren't really there. So it was just like a little text box. It wasn't really, you didn't really notice, right. but now it's more developed and I think it, it's more helpful. Now. So one of these little hover boxes that opened when I was yeah. learning about Sanford Fleming uh, opened up about the National Research Council. Oh, yes. And so I got caught up in the National Research Council, which is really interesting. Exactly. Can I, can so I they're the um, they maintain Canada's official time using atomic clocks, and uh, they also uh, put on the air on the CBC the official time signal, which has been going on since the fifth of November, nineteen thirty nine. Isn't that wonderful? It's the craziest. Yeah. It's Canada's longest running but shortest radio program. Yes, good trivia. Question. Super cool. Yeah. And it was heard every day just before thirteen hundred Eastern time. It lasts between 15 and 60 seconds, and it ends at exactly 1300 Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Yes, the end of the long dash marks the, right. marks the whatever, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I can read it to you exactly. Yes, good, because I love it. <laughs> so, the, on this radio program, it's this. Now, the National Research Council time signal. The beginning of the long dash following 10 seconds of silence indicates exactly 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and then the date. And then depending on the location, they would also use, they would potentially change the time zone. 
Um, so I think that's kind of interesting. And if you listen to it, it's like a, a bunch of clicks that are right at the yeah. top of the second. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a, a silence and then there's a long yeah. kind of beep. And yeah. then that's exactly one o'clock every yeah. day. Yeah. So interesting. And then the news comes right on after that. So yes. if you link the two together, if you listen every day, the boom, boom, boom comes on right after that. <laughs> this is like the, the soundtrack of our lives. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so interestingly, to one little other bit of trivia related to the time signal is that it actually is delayed by 300 milliseconds compared to the actual time signal. So the time, the National Research Council time signal is actually a radio broadcast that right. they broadcast from the National Research Council building in Ottawa. Right. But the CBC gets it on satellite, so it has a time delay of 300 mi- milliseconds. Oh, no. Uh, because they get it by Ottawa from sat- by satellite. So t- really, it's off a little bit, which is weird. Anyway. Because it has to go up and then back down. <laughs> right. It has to, to come back. Oh, my gosh. I'm sure none of us are going to notice 300 milliseconds, but still. <laughs> <laughs> what is truth? What is time? <laughs> Your world is shattered. Yeah. <laughs> so still on the National Research Council... This was kind of fun, actually. They run a telephone talking clock that announces the time of day. You can actually go, to, I, and I made a phone call to try this out. You, it announces Eastern time every 10 seconds, following, followed by a tone indicating the exact time. What's the number? The number is 1613-745-1576. That's for English. We're gonna, I'm probably going to get a notice about long distance. But. NRC, Eastern Daylight Time, 14 hours, 0 minutes, and 50 seconds. It just repeats itself after that. NRC, Eastern Daylight Time, you fall 14 asleep tonight. hours, 1 minute. <laughs> it cuts you off after 30 seconds if you keep oh. it on. <laughs> get off the line, somebody else needs the clock. So the, awesome. the National Research Council offers time synchronization over the internet as well. So besides having the talking clock, which you can call in at any time to synchronize your watch if you're not really oh, sure, nice. which is super interesting, which I didn't know, uh, they also have an internet um, synchronization called the Network Time Protocol, NTP, if you ever see that in a computer language thing. Uh, computers, routers, and stuff with NTP clients can actually use their servers to make sure that their their stuff has the correct time, which is how computers yeah. end up synchronizing properly. And phones, I right. imagine, too, right? And they have a web address, which is time.nrc.ca. Wow. So from that... Time. <laughs> like, www.time.ca. Like, that's what that... Like, I wonder what that takes... Oh, it probably takes you to Time Magazine. Oh, that's true. Sure. <laughs> Don't go there. Never mind. Uh, so another little... Th- pop-up box that opened when I was reading about the National Research Council took me to Coordinated Universal Time, Mm -hmm. uh, which actually has an uh, acronym that isn't the same. It's UTC for some reason. Um, And it's the primary time standard by which the world regulates clocks and time. So it's kind of like what the National Research Council offers for Canada. This is like for the world. Right. So coordinated universal time is the world standard time. And all clocks in the world theoretically take their time off of UTC time. Um, and it is 
within one second of mean solar time at zero degrees longitude. So it's within one second of um, the time that is developed by the where the sun is in the sky mm-hmm. at any given time at at zero degrees, which is the Greenwich right. prime meridian. Like at Greenwich, it's within one second of where the sun is in the middle of the sky. Like theory, if you think about it from the sun being right at the 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 highest point in the sky at 12 o'clock noon every day, this coordinated universal time is within one second of that at zero degrees longitude on the Earth itself. It's noon, not midnight. Right. Right. Um, Because it's solar time. Um, Solar. Yeah. The sun. So solar time (laughs) is the passage of time based on the position of the sun in the sky. And then, so we're almost getting to the leap second Okay. Because of solar time, right. it's based on so it's oh, the solar time that's the thing. Right. So universal time, this coordinated universal time, was first adopted in 1960 in January 1960. But the system's been adjusted a bunch of times, um, and full what we're using now, full UTC, was adopted on January 1st, 1972. And when they adopted that, they added the concept of leap seconds to adjust the time because of um, irregularities in the Earth's rotation or slowdowns in the Earth's rotation to make sure that it always stays exactly with solar time highest in the sky oh, at noon. And so sometimes they have to add leap seconds, and um, leap seconds are uh, um, basically one-second adjustments that are applied to civil time, like our time, um, to coordinate universal time. <laughs> to do, they, do they announce when they do this? Yes. Oh, gosh. You just ask the next question, the oh, next sorry. thing on yeah. my list. <laughs> I thought it might be a conspiracy, you know. <laughs> they announce them at least 16 months in advance. Or, sorry, six months in advance. Yeah. Sorry, let me go back. They announce them at least six months in advance um, so that people can adjust, I guess. But it's like one second. Would you so even that's notice? strange. Anyway, there's a lot of complication about time. If you go and read this thing, it sounded very complicated, so I didn't go into a whole lot of it. Um, But uh, over the years, they've talked about replacing this uh, coordinated universal time uh, to eliminate the leap second, but so far they haven't made that decision, and now they've decided to, I don't know who they is actually, (laughs) decided to defer that decision to 2023. So we're sticking with coordinated universal time until at least 2023. And Probably because coordinated universal time is used in things like aviation and weather forecasts and the International Space Station and all kinds Let's of things. Let's not play with that stuff. So, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where my research ended up with Gosh. leap seconds and coordinated universal time. And I ended up more like, I wish I'd had a little bit more time because it was just starting to talk about atomic clocks, which right. I didn't get to at all. Mm. So I didn't do any of that research. Yeah, but I'm that. interested in... And where that's going to go. So that's what I ended up with. So where did you end up? Uh, well, um, what did you start with? Yeah, I started, I went to uh, the museum's collection and I kind of, which is our own little mini Google. And I sort of just typed in daylight savings and two pictures came up. Um, one, uh, we'll put them on the footnotes to the blog so you can see them. One is a photo from 1937 that was in the standard. And it's a child standing on her high chair uh, playing with the clock on the mantelpiece. <laughs> um, and the caption is, just a reminder that tonight is the night to turn your clock 
this lady shows the correct procedure. She is standing on a high chair, by the way. So I don't know if that's correct health and safety. This but lady. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this baby, sorry. Uh, toddler, really. Uh, while officially daylight savings time comes into effect at midnight, most clock turners, like the one above, change their clocks just before retiring. <laughs> so what do you do? Do you change your clock before you go to bed? Um, or do you change it when you get up in the morning? Definitely before I go to bed, and that's because I used to have to sing in Toronto oh, right. on Sunday mornings. Oh, you don't want to be late. So, yeah, for or sure. Early. And yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely well. before. Although, like when I was a kid, I wasn't responsible for that. And uh, in university, probably when I woke up. But yeah, if like, if you got somewhere to be on Sunday morning, then and it's and it's funny too. I bet lots of churchgoers recognize that when you lo- when when you spring forward, everybody's late. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. When you yeah. spring forward, everybody's late. So people are coming in like communions being <laughs> being handed out and people are arriving. So, uh, um, And then the second photo uh, from the standards from 1938. And there's a picture of a man uh, with a big clock mechanism. And when I saw it, I, the article wasn't originally with the photo. I had to go find the article. And I was like, I wonder where that is. That must be, it must be the courthouse. It just it it, Where it else must would we be. have a clock like that. There's in the no city. other clock tower, I don't think. Anyway, and it looked kind of looked like I was like, oh, I wonder if it is. So it says, bright and early tomorrow morning, the hands of the town clock in the tower of the county building will jump ahead one hour as daylight saving time comes into effect. In this picture, Bob Williams, city employee, is seen this morning checking up the clock mechanism to make sure everything is ready for the change. So that was really cool. The the guy who's in, I don't maybe he's a just a general public work public works employee, but maybe the timekeeper of the city, who knows? Yeah. Bob Williams <laughs> is our guy from 1938. And that's, he wouldn't have been able to call the number and say, right. "Okay, I need to know exactly it's when it's probably just like using his uh, pocket watch or, or something or or wristwatch or whatever." So that's really cool. And there's a picture of the actual clock mechanism inside, which I don't know if is still the mechanism that's used in the clock today. That's awesome. So that's really cool. So that led me on a chase of clock towers. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Immediately I was like, nope, clock towers. Yeah. So my, my question was, is the Lincoln County Courthouse building the only clock tower we have? In St. Catharines. In St. Catharines. Mm, I couldn't think of another one. I can't think of another one. We have other bell towers, but not clock towers. And that's interesting, because when you get into the history of clock towers, bells are important. Um, I can't think of another clock tower. There's lots of bell towers, but I was thinking, like, what would they have used in in Meriton to get um, to the factory on time, or in in port to, you know, if they're opening opening the locks at a specific time or something like that. So I can't think of any other clock towers but bells for sure were important so the first clock towers were bells only um then clock faces were added in europe anyway medieval times that kind of thing the first clock tower was called tower of the winds oh that sounds even cooler yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it's in it's in athens and it had eight sundials i guess you'd need it as the sun goes around right yeah yeah that would make sense if it was so you could always have the time somewhere yeah and it had a water clock. Oh, that's cool. Which is referred to as a clepsydra. 
or clepsydra? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, water <laughs> clocks are the oldest time measuring device. And how would how would water clocks work in daylight savings? I have no idea. But I guess you'd have to change out the container because the water clock works pouring water into a container that would be measured out for that okay, particular gotcha. time. So like when the when the water hits the line in the container or hits the top of the container, that's your hour or right. day or whatever. Um, you'd have to stop it for an hour like, or start it or <gasps> add an hour. But how would you know how long the hour is? That's true. That you're stopping the water? Oh, gosh. Yeah. And so... There's water clocks, yeah. Good thing they didn't have daylight savings time. (laughs) (laughs) The oldest... Now, this is where it got kind of funny because there's a little bit of irony here. There's a competition or an argument and a debate about what the oldest clock tower is in the world. (laughs) And I was like, that's funny because... That was this wind thing. Oh, sorry. um, The oldest clock tower in Europe. Oh, right. Okay. And uh, with a modern... Like a modern... Like a mechanism. Mechanism clock, Yeah. yeah. So the oldest existing clock tower still running. As well, that's part of the debate. In Europe is maybe the Salisbury Cathedral clock, which was completed sometime, they don't even know, between 1306 and 1386. Yeah, that's a big time difference. Big time difference. But maybe there were leap years and leap seconds and what is time? (laughs) Or it could be the Beauvais Cathedral in France, which dates to 1305. So I just found it super interesting that and those that's right around each other, right? So there's yeah. this debate about the time, about the age of a clock. And there's like, probably no way to know. <laughs> brain explosion, right? And there's no way to know exactly. That's right. The University of Birmingham in England has the tallest freestanding clock tower in the world. Good to know. Super cool. It's approximately 110 meters tall. That's awesome for trivia. You yeah. never know when that might come up at a trivia night. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's referred to as Old Joe because it was named for Joseph Chamberlain, who was the chancellor of the university before he was prime minister. Right. So that got me thinking, hold on a second. We may not have another clock tower in St. Catharines, but there is an iconic clock tower in the country. Right. And that's in Ottawa, where I grew up. So I figured, gosh, I've been up the Peace Tower a number of times. I wonder what it's like to, you know, change the clock or play with the clock and all that kind of thing. (laughs) So the Peace Tower is 92 meters tall. um, And most people would say that it's the most iconic clock tower in the country. There is a really funny Rick Mercer video um, <laughs> about him going up to play the bells with the right. with the Carolinier, um, but that doesn't really get into the clock. I was hoping it would get into the clock, um, but it does get into the bells, and that reminded me that bells were a big important part of timekeeping because before the clock mechanism and the clock face was put on, bells were really used to tell time right. for the community at large if they were being called to to worship or prayer or if they were being used to tell people to go to work or, or whatever. And I live downtown and I can hear the bells of uh, the cathedral ringing for mass. So it's like, oh, it must be, you know, Saturday night. It's like five or six o'clock. I can't remember exactly which one. And Sunday morning as well, I can hear all the bells ringing from the different churches. The The bell, the bell rings on the hour at the, at the courthouse as well. So, you know, in, as an aside to that, that in the Navy... On ships, they tell time with bells. And so every hour, it starts at 8, goes 0 to 8, 
then zero to eight for every watch cool. on the ship. So like every kind of change of shift right. on the ship. And yeah. you can tell time based on the time of, you know roughly what time of day you're in. If you're at like four bells, it's yeah. a specific time of day. Yeah. Uh, and that's how time was told on ships until fairly recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. The most famous bell in the world, Big Ben. Yeah. Um, super loud, super big. And apparently it's pitched so that it carries really far and it's on a really tall tower and that kind right. of thing. So bells really, really important. And clock towers came, clock towers, because like some of the clocks aren't very big. Like the courthouse's clock, you have to kind of be, for me anyway, I have to be close to it to see what time it is. But the um, original design of bell towers was so that you could hear the bell from the furthest distance away, basically. So that's why they're so tall. And then just added clocks afterwards. So did you find that this was a European uh, kind of phenomenon, or did you find that it also went Eastern phenomenon as well? I looked a little bit, and there's references to Chinese astrological clock towers. Um but I didn't find any connection with bells in those in those cultures, but um, ancient Greece, for sure. But the sort of our idea of a clock tower, a freestanding clock tower with like a turret and a clock and a bell is is Western. European, yeah, Western, yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't know if you'd find it in non-Western places today. Like it might it might not even be a part of. They might use it a different way. Anyway, so bells really important, but. That's a sort of a sidetrack to what I wanted to find out. I was still looking for information on the clock. Because the bells at the Peace Tower in Ottawa are played on a carolin. Right. But, um, or carolin. And with, like, the keys and that kind of thing. Which we have one of here in St. Catharines yeah. over in Victoria Lawn Cemetery. Right. yeah. And we have, and also it's an automated, um, there's a clock that rings the bells on 15, every quarter hour. So that's fine. But what about... The clock, clock mechanism. So, it's kind of, it's happened once or twice where the clock on the Peace Tower has malfunctioned. And tourists get super upset. Because, obviously, if you're visiting Parliament, you want your picture to be good. And maybe you want a picture of the clock. and You want to hear that clock when it goes off. But yeah. On the hour, it's really cool. Or, and, yeah, on the hour and on 15 minutes as well. Yeah. And for sure. So, this is basically how the clock at the Peace Tower works. So public works employee Robert Lebronte, uh, similar to our Bob Williams here in St. Catharines <laughs> in 1938, is responsible for many of the most prominent elements on Parliament Hill, but the most visible is the Peace Tower clock. Controlled from a small room inside the tower, Lebronte sets the big clock using a pilot clock that's, uh, that simulates the same time. The pilot clock is locked. And with only three or four people holding a key for it. Ooh, I wonder what happened if like chaos ensued and several people got a hold of the clock key. Oh my gosh. There's a fight to change the time on the Peace Tower? Gosh. <laughs> I can tell from here what the Peace Tower clock is reading, he said. I can move them at the same time. So when I change the hour, I'm actually looking at this and not outside. So they're not going up like, you know, in... Uh, what was that Disney movie? The... the um, Great Escape, not the Great Escape, the um, Rescuers or something like okay. that. You know when they're in um, the the British, the, like the, the clock tower at Britain's Parliament, it's called the Elizabeth Tower, and they're like hanging on to the, the clock oh, right. hands yeah, yeah, and like yeah. they're trying to change it. So he's not up at the clock face changing the hands. He's got a little small clock a mechanism. That's attached yeah. to Apparently it's on the fifth floor of the tower. 
So now everybody knows where it is. <laughs> you can't get in anyway. There's a key. It's, there's a key. And only four keys. Um, so Public Works sets the clock by the National Research Council of Fish and Canadian Time. Yay. And twice a year, it's LeBronte's job to change the time. Yay. Of course, for daylight savings. <laughs> because the clock was built in 1927, the mechanism won't allow it to turn backwards. Oh. So... When most other Canadians turn their clocks back an hour in the fall, LeBronte goes in at 2 a.m., stops the Peace Tower clock for an hour, resets the other clocks around Parliament Hill, run around, I guess, and starts up the Peace Tower clock when 2 a.m. hits for a second time. Wow. Cool, eh? That's awesome. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? It's a 1927 design. We can't turn back time, he said. We can stop it but we can't go back in time. So you'll never see the dials go backwards. That's awesome. I Isn't that cool? <laughs> I love so, that he said you can't go back in time. You can't go time. back in time. <laughs> you can stop time, but you can't go back. <laughs> time. That's awesome. So, it, so a malfunction happened related to uh, that, that changing of the time, uh, November 5th, 2013. Pedestrians glancing up at the Peace Tower on Parliament Hill Sunday may have been triple-checking their watches and devices. The Peace Tower clock was 15 minutes fast, adding to the confusion for some on the same day that we were told to fall back and gain an hour of sleep with the end of daylight savings time. It was noticed at 12.50 p.m. Sunday by a sharp reader who brought it to our attention. This is the Ottawa Sun. Turns out the clock mechanism cannot be set back, as we just learned, according to information posted on Public Works. As a consequence, when the clock is set back in the fall, an employee stops the mechanism located on the fifth floor (laughs) of the tower and reactivates it an hour later, as we just learned. This time change is usually accomplished during the night. The chimes are set to sound every 15 minutes and do not ring during the process. The Peace Tower clock was presented to Canada by the government of the United Kingdom to mark the 60th anniversary of Confederation. It's been ticking on Wellington Street since 1927. And the federal government acknowledged the error on Monday. The clock had a minor malfunction following the time change on Sunday. It was adjusted as soon as it was noticed. Nothing more. Nothing more. So maybe someone got a hold of the key. They did go forward or back in time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> miss everybody up for 15 minutes so before I real, so um, before I knew it I was reading this article about all the secrets on Parliament Hill five secrets on Parliament Hill and honestly the clock struck 12 ending my hour as I was just reading through this thing about the secrets of Parliament Hill and I grew up in Ottawa so Parliament Hill is you know my jam my friends used to try to get me to take them on tours around the outside and then just laugh at me but so there's one secret that's not maybe so secret because it's I think Rick Mercer has has also had this on his show as well. But there is a secret door in the leader of the opposition's office. So the leader of the opposition gets an elaborate office on the fourth floor of center block just above the prime minister's office. That includes a fireplace and a detailed and detailed frescoes depicting soldiers in battle. The office also has what may be center block's only secret door. Identical wood panels decorate the wall on either side of the fireplace, but one actually sits on hidden hinges. And this this article was written when Thomas Mulcair was leader of the opposition. So this panel on this side here, Mulcair told CBC News, pointing to the panel to the left of the fireplace, is actually a secret door. 
The door opens into the next office, occupied by Melcare's executive assistant, George Smith. The legend is that former Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King, when he was leader of the opposition, especially in the in the day when there wasn't a lot of security, people used to just wander in. And when there was people out there he didn't want to see, there was another door that he could just sneak ah, out the back way. Perfect. Isn't that great? Love that. So funny. So anyway, <laughs> that's sort of, I know I ended up off topic, but because the clock struck 12, I ended up off topic. <laughs> I ran out of time. I couldn't go back and look at other things. That's you my You couldn't excuse. stop it. That's like right. the guy stopping the clock. So people who are in clock. Ottawa, if you're there in the middle of the night at 2 o'clock, you can sit there and see that the clock yes. is stopped. <gasps> oh my gosh, i got to go home. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Maybe that's going to be on your bucket list now. Yeah. Be in Ottawa at 2 a.m. when they change the clock. And no bells. I don't know if they ring overnight, though. because They probably don't. I bet you people uh, who live around... Uh, downtown would probably get annoyed but um i also learned from uh a documentary that just by coincidence i was watching about windsor castle surprise (laughs) that it takes the timekeeper at windsor castle 16 hours to change all of the clocks wow that's crazy well there's probably a gazillion of them there. a gazillion and he took he, he like the cameras followed him around as he went through all the clocks and he got lost at one point and I, oh, we're lost. He didn't know where he was on his way to change a clock. Like, what? You so, checklist. It's a big castle, but there is some really, there's like, he does all the clocks, like even the clocks in the collection that are at the, at the castle. They're not like time clocks. They're like decorative no, they're like clocks, right? Like artifacts. Yeah, that's right. So he even does those, which is, which is wild. Um, and one last thing, I have to connect it to the West Wing, of course, and I'll put the clip in the footnotes because there's a hilarious uh, scene um, regarding daylight savings time when uh, Toby and Josh and Donna are on the campaign trail with the president and they get left behind and they try to catch up with the campaign and they're like it's okay we can get to the airport for this time but the airport is in a different time zone because this county didn't observe daylight savings so they're like an hour behind and this volunteer who uh, who's driving them around is like oh well no, like, you're not going to make it. And Josh and Toby lose it. And it's so funny. And he's like, we changed time zones. It's a really, really funny piece of of the West Wing. So very famous scene related to daylight savings. I just had to wrap it in somehow. Of course. Of course. So So that's where I ended up. Yeah. Time's up. <laughs> my face was like, oh my gosh, what? Yeah, time's up. Were you, how long were you holding on to that one? Far longer than I needed to, really. Oh my gosh. You were waiting for that the whole time. That's so funny. coming down the rabbit hole with us one hour in the past is wrapping up for the season but we wouldn't leave you without some museum content to hold you over until 2019 the museum's main podcast museum chat live continues with our public programmer sarah nixon leading a multi-episode discussion of the fallen workers of the welland ship canal featuring one of the museum's volunteer docents des corin you can catch museum chat live in all the same places you listen to One Hour in the Past, on iTunes, 
SoundCloud, or through the museum's blog at stcatherinesmuseumblog.com. We're already planning our next season of One Hour in the Past and are excited to come back in 2019 with a bunch of new, weird, and interesting topics for our one-hour research projects. If you have any ideas of topics you'd like Adrian and I to look at, uh, share your ideas for the 2019 season of One Hour in the Past with us at facebook.com slash St. Catherine's Museum or on Twitter and Instagram at at STC Museum. One Hour in the Past is produced by us, Kathleen Powell and Adrian Petrie, and brought to you by the St. Catherine's Museum and Welland Canal Center and the City of St. Catharines. Yay! Kathleen Powell and Adrian Petrie. Petrie. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even spell my own name. Good times. Times, good times. <laughs>